Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Gary Wilkerson podcast. We're so uh, glad you're with us today, and we're glad to have Chris Palmer with us again. Let me tell a little story here. I, was, I think I was maybe 12, 13 years old. I've been to, going to church my whole life, and I went up to my pastor afterwards, and I, I was kind of a little bit angry at him because like, every week he'd go like, he'd read the English and go, it does, this word doesn't mean that, it means this. And I'd go like, well, why did they put it in my Bible? And how do, how do you know it doesn't mean that it means this. If all those people that took the time, you know, from King James on to put these words in there. Um, so, so, you know, I remember wrestling with that, but, but now I see it, you know, there, there are some, I mean, I think it's varies in translations and stuff like that, but um, who, who do you trust or how do you, how do you, how, how do you trust it? Like if you don't know Greek, is you know can, can you uh or do you yeah. is that why you're encouraging us today to to learn it yeah i think you can trust um i don't there's no translation that i would um tell you you can't trust if it's a true translate if it's a true translation and so i'm not gonna throw anybody under the bus here because i know there's a, a wide audience that listens to this but i will i will say that um so your esv your niv the kjv uh, these real authentic authentic versions no it's fine I, I don't have any i don't think there's a a dr evil that is trying to you know give us a bible that's going to lead us to hell and and that's not infallible anymore i don't that's not actually the case but there are there are there are renderings there are bibles that that are produced by one person one individual and not a committee and i would just say don't when you read those translations be really careful um, to remember that this wasn't done by a committee. It was done by one individual because when you're, when you're reading through the New Testament, for example, you have to make exegetical decisions about certain passages that are not, that the context doesn't lend you the meaning and the way that the cases are operating don't lend you the meaning. Um, there's a verse, I believe it's in Colossians, that says we're saved through the faith, of, the faith of Christ, right? We're saved through the faith of Christ. So you see this genitive case the faith of Christ, which could have very differences of meanings depending on the genitive cases functioning. Is it a genitive origin, the faith that comes from Christ? Is it a genitive possession, the faith that belongs to Christ? Is it a subjective or objective genitive, subjective meaning or objective meaning that it's the, it's the faithfulness of Christ or say to the faithfulness of Christ? And depending on how you render that, it's going to really, it does play an effect in theology and it creates a lot of theological discussion, sometimes vehement debate um, that gets really, and nothing really settles it. Um, so what you need is an ecumenical group of thinkers to come together and decide on something that is safe and that we can decide on without yeah. harming it. Um, so there's, there's strength in counsel and strength in numbers in those types of translations. But if one person is doing it who has a clear bias or has a clear universalist bias i mean they're they decide in the form of radical gray they radicalize paul's writings when it comes to liberty and law or they have a, a mysticism or mystical way of looking at things and they don't have a committee i would say be very careful with translation and there's some popular ones out there right now mm. that people ask me about and i say look at that as a commentary don't treat that any differently than a commentary um but like your esv or your cage i don't think you have to worry about those at all um i remember one time somebody said they took the King James version of the Bible, right? And they put it up and they said, the King James version has, you know, X amount of words. The NIV has X amount of words and it was less 
No, it was more words or less, more or less than, than the KJV, but the, the words didn't match. And then they used the scripture from Revelation that says, if anybody tries to take away words and right. yeah. <laughs> I want to say, you know, I want to say, well, if you really want to do it, let's go back to the original manuscript that we have. And we'll see that the yeah. KJV is, is, is not the exact amount of words. And that's only because most translations aren't word for word. You can't translate something word for word. It's impossible. You know, um, like in Italian, I know a little Italian, like you say, va bene, which means how are you doing today? Is everything okay? Right? Is everything okay? Va bene? Everything okay? Is everything good? So you have like three English words for two Italian words, you know, and this is how translation works. So that's mm -hmm. just, that just shows a, 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 an ignorance of how language works. Um, I think that answers your question. I, I, it did. That, no, very well. Is there any words like as you're reading, even the most trusted, the ESV, the NIV, King James, New King James? Um, I don't know if you classify Holman in there. Do you do you, do you put Holman in the? Yeah, uh, Holman's good. Holman, yeah. Holman, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I haven't read Holman, but just I don't know why that came to my mind. Um, yeah, yeah. As you're reading those, do, do you ever like get angry? Like when you just went, ah, they, why did they use that word? Is there one that's most divergent in your? Uh, studies like that, that that you know what I mean uh, you catch my question yeah there? yeah I get it yeah okay so uh, so well, let's just go to the King James version right I mean this is a this has been a big controversy I mean you probably you may even have people that comment on the video that are like why would you say that um so the King James I'm fine with that I have no I, I think it's a beautiful language it's a really good book that talks about I got it I wish I had it right on me that talks about um, you know, the, the place the King James version has, I'll, I'll send you the email. You can put it in the show notes because yeah. there's some people that are like King James only. Well, I remember, you know, reading suffer the little children, let them come unto me. And I'm like, suffer the children. I mean, suffer them. Why does God want the children to suffer? You know? And then, and then when people say, well, I'm a King James version only person. Well, the problem I have with the King James version at this point in, in 20 is not anything when it was originally translated, but in, you know, 2021 is that when was the last time you used the word peradventure? you know, peradventure, which is, and it's like, it's like, you have to do, you have to look up English words just to understand what the English means. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, when, when you're doing this, and, and the thing about language is, is language moves forward over time. It language changes over time. It's, it's actually one thing in life that truly is fluid. And for instance, the language words change meaning. They can be the opposite of what it meant. For instance, um, young people like to say, if they like this polo shirt, right, that I'm wearing, they say, Oh, you know, I love Paul. That shirt is sick. Right. It's sick. You know, it's like, this is a cool shirt. But maybe a, 20 years ago, saying it's sick means you, we need to buy you some new clothes. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's right. changed. So, so suffer doesn't mean what it means today. It means it meant to let back then. So, so Bible translators are like, hey, we need to bring the language over to where and catch the language up to where it's at today. Well, when the, when the King James Version was translated, they only, I think, had a, a couple thousand manuscripts back then to to write and not even i mean I, I don't know the exact number it was not as many as we have today today we have over eleven thousand accurate manuscripts that we can work from if you understand textual criticism to come up with more precise translations and renderings of scripture okay that that are more helpful um so i think this goes back to your original question are there words that I find in some of the translations that are yeah i, I mean there's i'm sure, sure there's tons of them in, in different, okay for instance today i was doing I'm doing some work out of first Peter today and um, I use the ESV a lot. So in first, it's, I got it right in front of me, actually. First Peter three thirteen says he, he's talking to 
the Christians who are, he considers like the exiled people of God at the time. And he's really telling them to the way that they overcome suffering is to suffer the way Christ suffers. And that's to be submissive towards government, be submissive towards don't open your mouth. Don't, don't try to solve injustice by causing more injustice and creating more injustice. Mm -hmm. And he tells them, he tells them to obey like Christ obeyed. And he gives them the motif of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And he tells them in verse number 13 of chapter three, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And like the ESV is a great translation. I'm thinking that, that doesn't make, I don't really quite get how they put that together. The NLT says, now who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? I think that's a better Greek rendering of the Greek translation. So it's not even always words. It's like, how are you, how are you arranging the syntax in this? Um, because in Greek, there's no word order. I mean, it th doesn't have to be a word order. In English, we use right branching sentences, right? We put the subject in front, Chris, the verb right after the subject went, and then the direct object to the store, okay? In Greek, it could be like, the store went, the store Chris went, or <laughs> to the store went Chris um, ice cream to buy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you have the way you figure this out is through understanding the cases and understanding how, how the verb's functioning. And... John is, we, we, you start Greek with John because John is like an English writer. He uses right branching sentences more often than other writers. You get to Jude, there's no hope. You're done, you know, because he's just being as hard as he can for people like us. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and Luke the same, I mean, Hebrews is a mess. And you, people, one of my professors was saying how when he first started to do Greek, he was, he was ambitious. He was going to start translating the letters of the New Testament. And he thought, oh, I'll start with the back end and, and do the little epistles. He starts doing Jude, he's got no hope, you know, yeah. because there's nothing in order the right way. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. the um, kind of digging into uh, sort of a little deeper dive. Um, you hear a lot of people when they're, <clears throat> excuse me, teaching uh, scripture, maybe from the pulpit, uh, and and they'll use the the tenses of Greek, Greek, of Greek, of Greek, uh, of Greek, yeah. <laughs> Greek, Greek tenses. Is, uh, I'm studying a lot of Greek tenses lately. Uh, Greek tenses. Uh, so, uh, can you just walk us through that briefly? Like, like, yeah. like some, some of them are like past, uh, you know, and, and they have these. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's there's um. For, okay. So we'll take like we'll take moods, right? So, like when you see a word that's in the imperative mood, it's a command. So you sometimes know that the imperative command is usually going to be more important. Um, let me think of a. Uh, so when you see imperatives, you know, like this is, this is not an option. This is an instruction. Um, then you, you would see, for instance, uh, the passive voice is another, just kind of give you some random ones here. Like the passive voice um, is John really likes to use the passive voice in his, in the book of revelation uh, when there's destruction that's taking place. Okay. Because it's a judgment and you know that God's the one that's doing it. He's the one causing it. But the passive, so the passive voice would be like, the road was crossed, you know, the food was eaten, mm -hmm. the the waters were cursed, you know, mm -hmm. the the earth was this, the earth was destroyed. Well, who's doing it? Yeah. Well, somebody's doing it. Someone's doing it. But who's doing it? Well, John has this thing called the divine passive, where he he when he's referring to what God is doing, he he hides the uh, he hides who's doing it. Um, so the middle voice um, is oftentimes not always used this way sometimes we overgeneralize it and say this is how it always is mm. but the middle voice is when somebody the action is doing 
the, the, the subject is doing the action themselves. So I wash. Well, that, that's in the middle voice. It means I washed myself. I did the action to myself. I ate. You know, I myself ate. Um, so when the, when the devil, when the disciples come back and they say, Lord, we notice that the devils are subject to you in your name. That's in the middle voice. So that's interesting because it, the middle voice changes a little bit because what they're saying is we notice the devil subjected themselves when we use your name. So they didn't have to get an argument on the devil. The devil, when they heard the name of Christ, they subjected themselves to the name of Christ. It wasn't a forced thing that they were trying to do. It wasn't that they were using some power to put them in subjection. They heard the name of Jesus and they put themselves into that's subjection right. over them. And you, that really, you don't really quite see that in English then, do you? No, you don't see that in English because sometimes it doesn't get it, the, the, the translator is not picking up on that or for, for whatever reason, the translator felt not to add that in there or to add words in there that would, because you have to add words to that. The devils are subject to us under thy name. You would have to add more words that may not make for good English. The devils subjected themselves, using themselves, doing it themselves to thy name. And they're like, eh, it doesn't make good English. So we'll, we'll just, yeah. we'll just leave it this way and hope they figure it out at some point. And it's not a, it, and it's not incorrect. It's just they didn't give you the extra words yeah. to to give you the force of you know how that tense voice mood or whatever it is is yeah. uh, is working at that moment. So you know, and and it's full of those types of those types of um, uh, nuances as, as mm-hmm. you understand how how verbs and nouns and et cetera how they work and how they inflect. Yeah, it it just shows the importance of of uh, you know what you've given yourself to and what you're teaching and what you're sharing with us today. The importance of of having, you know, some good forms of, of Greek, if not really learning language, uh, because it, it could really make a difference. Uh, you know, things jumping off the page, things catching you in a different way. Like, you know, and, and a lot of it, you know, some of my discoveries have been, you know, w- without some language studies, I always thought it meant that. And, and now I realize, oh yeah, I've just been Sort of just been taking it that way, and it and it's and it's kind of not, and that's that's eye opening, and it, and some of that can, can be, uh, some of it can change your your whole uh, outlook on certain aspects of sanctification or yeah. uh, prayer, yeah. or walk with God, or you know, oh, yeah. faith issues, and it can answer some sometimes it can answer questions that are you know that you kind of feel like are over your head debate wise, like you know the scholars have always debated whether it's this or that, you know, and then all of a sudden you see something in, in the original language, and you go like that's. That, that helps me at least feel like I can own something there. And I, I think it's wise. Can I walk you through uh, uh, and just get, get you to comment? Uh, most of these are in your book, but uh, there's certain words there as I was reading your book that, that really touched me. Um, the unsearchable. Uh, I like that one because, you know, as you say in the book, you, you know, you give the Ephesians 3 8 and um, uh, Ephesians 1 15, 16. Um, so this this word unsearchable here, it, it's it's an odd one because it seems like if it's unsearchable, like how do you have it? Like yeah, I'm giving you the unsearchable riches of well, it's not okay. I do have it, but it's 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 unsearchable. But you've just searched it out for me. It's like it's like yeah. uh, it seems like an oxymoron almost a little bit, or like a contradiction that like the surpassing knowledge. Like how, how do you if if you have that? It sounds like you're saying you have that knowledge. But it's surpassing what you have. So, it, do you can see can you see why that confuses me a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So I think if I remember right in the book, um, I was talking in there about um, not being able to to trace something out or track something out. So it's a very complicated Greek word. It's a very long Greek word that means to track something out or track down. 
right? And it was used to describe like footsteps, um, something that can't be completely traced or you, you can't go back there. It was the illustration I gave in that one about the, um, about Google. No, that was not that yeah, one. It, what, what yeah. was Google, yeah, Google. Okay, and, okay, 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 okay. okay. Uh, so, Google, so, uh, yeah. something else, Google, uh, uh, and then his, his other nephew or something gave it even a bigger word or something. Like, I thought that was brilliant. So that, yeah, well, thank you. So, okay, so let, let's take it from the top here. So there was a, the word Google, we know what it means today, G-O-O-G-L-E, but the actual, the actual, word is spelled g-o-o-g-l right they didn't get it right and so when they were making google they wanted to find they wanted to make the biggest search engine that they could possibly make and they had to come up with the biggest number so it was the word google and so google to the i believe is the hundred the tenth power the hundredth power is something that's uh, google to the hundredth power is something that, a number that is so enormous so large so big that <clears throat> according to what i was studying what i looked up this google is so large that if you take all the atoms and all the molecular particles, not only in the world, but in the universe that we know of, and you add it up together, okay, it doesn't equal Google to the hundredth power. Mm. And then if you take Google, so it, it's not it's not something that exists, so it becomes a theoretical number. And if you take Google to the Google power, it's something that's so beyond the number that's so large and so beyond our understanding that you just cannot. You can't trace it out. You can't fathom it because there's nothing that is available enough that exists to actually render it to that number. So it's, it's, it's an imaginary number. Yeah. And so you can't trace it out. And so this whole word here, unsearchable, refers to something that, that's so large, it's so wide, that's so big that you, you can't completely search it out. And so the whole idea or the word picture behind that actually – Talk to one of my friends in Cyprus who speaks original Greek or not originally pointing, but they speak Greek. And this person told me that this word was used to talk about tracking something down. It was used in a detective case mm. or some sort of crime scene where you'd come in here and you'd trace and look for, um, you know, how you can track down who's doing this. And but the word in front of it, you'll notice that the Greek word has an alpha, which is a, a negation. OK, which mm means that it cancels it out so it's saying it can't it's not something that you can trace down it's not something you can look at as a detective it's past your finding out it's something that is too wide and too big for you to comprehend or understand and um it's like a google and so that's talking about when you consider the grace of god that came to us through christ jesus as a result of the suffering death and you think about what he did he left heaven he left the confines of heaven he as a god he as not God, as God, he took upon himself the form of a human and the lowliness of our existence to die, to suffer human death on our behalf. Um, how do you really put that kind of grace and mercy towards us in any type of word? You cannot. So our words fall short, our worship in a sense. I mean, it's, you can't really, everything that we do is a finite expression of his infinite grace and mercy. Yeah, yeah, that's, so, so I think I hear you, what you're saying. It's, it's been given to you. You have, you, you understand this grace, you understand this knowledge, you understand this love, but okay, yeah. saying you're understanding it in a surpassing manner or you understand it, but you don't, it surpasses what you understand. Which one do you think it's saying? 
I think it's it's I think you understand it in part, but it surpasses it. I mean, the unsearchable riches of grace. So we're talking about something that we know in part, but in in, re, in reality, it's beyond even what we can. Talk. I mean, we know it enough to be saved. We know it enough to become the people of God. We know it enough to know that He He loved us, but to know it in its totality and its fullness, I think is, I think it's unsearchable. And so that tells me that in in eternity, I do believe we're going to be spending time a lot of time coming to know more and more about his, his grace that he has towards us. I think it's going to take us an attorney to do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. And the reason I asked that one about unsearchable um, is yeah. selfish. I'm, I'm working on a book uh, on the attributes of God and I've kind of gotten stuck. I'm, I'm about six weeks behind my own uh, trajectory of, 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 of uh, deadlines. I've kind of imposed for myself, got stuck on, you know, the, the Westminster confession speaks of the, or a lot of the, the creeds do it, and the nation creed, uh, the um, the incomprehensibility of God, you know. So so I'm I'm, I'm tracking along pretty good, and, and I'm seeing like these words unsearchable, and, and okay, so so in, you know, and and that like you talked about earlier about like the words changing, you know, like your shirt being sick, uh, yeah. you know, the comprehensibility of God is one of those words that change. You know, it it used to mean sort of like beyond fully finding out, beyond grasping, you know, and now it means like you know, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. It's, it's, uh, you know, like if I were to say to you today, you know, Hey, Chris, thanks for being on our podcast. You were totally incomprehensible. You, you'd probably be offended. Right. You know? And so that word ha has definitely changed. Uh, and, and so I'm, I've gotten stuck on this. Uh, have you ever come across a, um, uh, uh, he teaches systematic theology, Vincent Chung. I don't know if you've heard that name or not. Uh, yeah, I think what my friend that teaches this deal would be probably quite familiar with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I was reading his stuff on it and he's kind of saying the opposite, like, well, God's not really, he's knowable. He's not incomprehensible or we wouldn't be able to be talking about him. And so you know, I got stuck with that. That's why I asked about the word unsearchable. It, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think, I think God makes himself noble to us. He gives us what he wants of himself. So there is an element, there is a, there is an aspect of God that is knowable that we can know. Um, but in this, in this particular thing, it says the unsearchable riches. Okay. So this word here, unsearchable, uh, syntactically is an adjective that is modifying the word riches of Christ. Okay. So that would be the riches of his grace or, the, or his virtue that he showed towards us. So maybe, so in a sense, God's normal, but his riches or his grace that he has poured out to us and what that looks like in Christ, um, is an expression of that grace is in a sense, he may be being hyperbolic in the sense of, but I think it's hyperbole speaking of something that um, he really is beyond our understanding in a way that we can't fully. And I, I think it's safe to say that if we really knew God and all that he was and all that he is and all that he's done, if we knew him in his totality, in his totality, I think we would come to resent him because we usually, when we find something out, we, 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 we've caught up to it. Um, we treat it as casual. I don't think we'll ever completely fully know all there is to know about God. I, so I think he's knowable and what he's revealed to us, but yeah. I think there's a, a side of him that just, or much of him that is, that's still ours for the, for the searching. Amen. I agree. And that's a, he's, he's infinite. And we, you know, even in heaven, we'll have, we'll, we'll have a new, new body, yeah. new mind, but we'll still be fine. And, 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 and let me say this. I don't think that this verse is discouraging our searching either. Yeah. I think it's encouraging our searching, but letting us know, you can search, but you won't find it all out. I'm yeah. Which makes the search much more intriguing than sort of like, uh, you know, okay, I, I, you know, I, 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 I comprehend now algebra. Yeah. Okay. So that. let me, let me, yeah. yeah. So let me put it like this way. Okay. 
maybe this is crass and oversimplified, overgeneralized. Maybe some of the audience agrees. I like to think of it this way. And I would probably illustrate it this way. There was a, a mystery podcast that I was listening to a couple of years ago that I, I loved listening to. I mean, it's just, it was all on mystery and uh, crime that had happened. I was so engaged with this, you know, I was listening to one after that. Every time I'm in the car, I'm listening. I remember I got to where I was going and I stayed in the parking lot for like 15 minutes and ran late for my appointment because I can't, I got to figure this out. I got to know it's up. And I was drawn the whole time. But one day the podcast ended. I figured out how it was going on. And it left me with this feeling of disappointment and that's all there is to it. And there's nothing more. What do I do? There's, it's over with. My, my world came to a, a halt. I wanted to know more. And I almost, I resented the fact that I knew now, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. I wanted to chase. I wanted to keep going. And so the thing about God is, wow. as we continue in him, we can continue to learn and learn and learn and learn. And the search never has to come to an end for us ever to resent the fact that we discovered everything that there was to know. Wow. That, know? That's, that's so sweet and uh, exciting. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, every once in a while you hear Christians talk about, you know, I try to read my word, but it gets boring. You know, this, when, you, yeah. when we talk about God the way you're talking about him right now, it's 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 hard to put him in a category of anywhere near boring. And Google Google to the Googleth power, however you say that, <laughs> you know, is, is is in itself a measurable number. And we're talking about a, a measurable uh, God, an immense God. I mean, even the word immensity has kind of time and space uh, encapsulated yeah. around him, and God has nothing to encapsulate him. He's He's beyond that, and uh, he's worth knowing. And I, I think what we've been talking about today is, is a great help, Chris, because you know the, any any tools that we have to to um, shine a light on a subject uh, to get that which seems unsearchable and is unsearchable more searched out is is well worth our time and effort. So everything you said today has been encouraging and exciting, and uh, you know I want our people to go go to those notes after the show today and. Uh, uh, you know, dig dig into some of those things. I really hope they'll they'll catch your uh, talks on Theosu. Uh, I'm I'm going to do that. I'm I'm, I'm going to. I don't know if I need to sign up or just start watching them or whatever. But I'm I'm going to do that because um, the confession here in, in closing. Um, I was a fairly good student at seminary. I was. Uh, I, I would add a 4.0 except for Greek. Uh, I got I got, a, I got I got all A's in all my years of of seminary, Bible school and seminary, and then all of a sudden. Uh, I took Greek, uh, even Greek, yeah. Greek, man, I got a C and it brought me. <laughs> so, so I've kind of, a, to be honest with you, I've avoided Greek a little bit. And so I'm glad to be reintroduced to you and your books because it's, yeah. it's uh, you know, and your, and your, uh, the stuff that's on Instagram and YouTube, uh, uh, Greek, uh, Greek, Greek for the week. Uh, yep. Is that right? Am I saying right? Greek for the week? Or? Yeah. 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 My, my, on Wednesdays, I dropped the one minute uh, Greek for the week and in a devotional way, I don't really. I, I have some uh, friends that are Greek teachers as well. Like, and, and I say, you know, my, my whole thing is that you can take out all the jargon. I, I shave that all off. I mean, because in the Greek world, we can say, oh, this is a first person singular passive and, and you go through all that. And it's like, but the average reader is lost now by the time they get to the takeaway. I just <laughs> throw that all to the side and say, this is what it means. Okay. You know, this is how you can apply it to your life. So that's Greek. Yeah. 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 But I, yeah. I hear you. I mean, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, well, I struggle through Greek too. I mean, I, I, I as well, I, I put off Greek. My part of my testimony is I put off Greek until my senior year of undergrad because I just didn't want to do it. But then I did it. My professor was engaging and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then in, in the ministry, and I had, so I had a year of it. In 2012, I started to sense that 
there was a desire in me to, to relearn Greek. Uh, so I did an online school at the time um, and really was doing well. And I felt I needed to more exposure. So one night in this very office that I'm at um, in my bookcase, I stood there and was in prayer and I just committed myself to doing this for, for whatever use God would, would make of it. Um, and then <laughs> I was telling the Lord, like, oh, you know, this is going to be a lot of money for classes, but he provided and I got through it. But my professor at that time um, was so brilliant and so profound and his, 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 his lectures are so engaging um, that I just class honestly was the best part of my, my week. Um, the twice, twice a week I had it um, and I, he got me through it. And then, um, I just kept with it. And, and one day I was reading, a you know, a Greek grammar and, and there was a lot of, as a pastor at that time I was making connections and saying, there's a lot of preaching insight that's in here. So I started offering them to, um, to my social media and my social media grew. Um, and I guess it's sort of one thing led to the next, but, um, if anything, I just hope that people know that they don't have to, the thing about Greek is, and I, I'll, I guess I'll close with this is that we're so used to having secondhand information and that's fine because, you know, if I write a book, I can't I have to be okay with secondhand information because if I'm informing somebody, they're taking what I said and that's good. But the Greek is what gives you the ability to have firsthand insight, mm. right? It's the difference between buying food from, you know, a restaurant and cooking the food yourself and making it up, you know, coming up with it. So Greek gives you that option. It teaches you how to cook the word of God, if you will. And it's a really, it's a really rewarding experience. That's a that's a beautiful word picture. I don't know if there's a Greek word for that word picture you just painted. That's <laughs> a, a good one. Um, I was going to ask you earlier. Could, could, uh, could we have your permission? I don't know if we need to get in right or not. Can can we uh, uh, embed uh, one of your um, Greek for the week talks here on this podcast just to show people what? It's yeah, like? sure. Yeah, we'll I will. I will say. Yeah, you don't need it for, I'll, for sure. I'll just send it to you when we get off. I'll email it to you. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you so much for your time today. Can you join us again? In, uh, Two weeks or a month from now, or six yeah, weeks you, you, I, I would love to. You, you give me the date, I'll be there for you. I just, it, you, you know, for, for me uh, to be to be a part of your ministry and to to just be a part of this podcast is, is an honor. It genuine, genuinely is, truly. Oh, thank you, Chris. Well, uh, those who are listening, I think I know they're going to want to hear more from you. This has been a, this we've been. Already, I just looked at my clock. We've been on over an hour, and it's just it's, to me, it's flown by. I mean, it's just like time's flown by. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. So, thanks. God bless you, my brother. Good being with you. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. In the book of Acts, we find that there are four places where Luke tells a story from the first person plural or from the perspective of we. Now, this was following the ancient genre of that day, which was sea narrative. In sea narratives, the gods always determined the fate of the sailors that traveled with them. And many times they were malevolent, they were violent, they were wicked, and they tried to harm the sailors but not so with the God of the Christians. We see in Acts 27, Paul and the sailors go out to sea and a storm erupts and breaks up the ship, but the God of the Christians preserves them, protects them, and none of them perishes, which was a direct contrast and a correction to the pagans that the God of creation is loving, kind, and the God of the Christians was the true God who loves his creation. So today, remember, our God is different. He's wonderful, and on the voyages of life, he protects us and preserves us. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. 
This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.